There we go. Recording. Yes. I remember the smell of Blanky. I remember the color of Blanky. I remember the exact pinstripe nature of Blanky. Sort of a slightly off, sort of off white yellow color. I don't know if that was just from use or what. <laughs> but I remember even the feeling of taking Blanky and putting it in my mouth and what it was like to grind it in my teeth. Because I usually had it so close to my face at night before I was going to bed. I loved my blankie because my blankie made me feel happy and safe. I asked Andrew if I could use him in an illustration this morning because he has something similar. He has Bunny. And Bunny is who he brings. He was going to bring him this morning, but he forgot. But Bunny is who he brings to bed every night uh, and holds closely. And he, do you know the smell of Bunny and the feel of Bunny? Yeah. Because Bunny makes him feel happy and safe. And the reality is that even as we get older, because the world is a dangerous place, there are things that we turn to to find that happy and safe feeling. We all have them. What's yours? Christy said hers was home goods. (laughs) (laughs) I have many different things that I turn to. Because as we read from the book of Genesis, early on, chapter 3 in fact, sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, and because of that sin, also a deep sadness and a fear and a shame entered our world, and everyone knows it, everyone feels it. Some more strongly than others, depending upon how much abuse or trauma or accidents they've had in their life. But we all feel it. And... Satan also brought this into the world. As sin was coming into the world, there was a lie that was presented at the center of the universe. The lie goes something like this. There is something besides God that you need to be happy and safe. Right? That's how he basically baited Eve into grabbing the fruit. There is something out there besides God that you need to be happy and safe that you're going to need this other thing to save your own skin on occasion to feel good about this harsh world that we live in. It's precisely what we're seeing from Abraham in our story this morning. He's on a journey. We just studied the fact that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. We studied the fact of the sin from that town and what had happened to them and the saving of Lot, barely. But now, for some reason, Abraham is on a road trip. We're not exactly sure why. The uh, scriptures don't tell us exactly why, but probably something to do with needing a new place to plant himself, new grazing lands for his cattle, which he had a lot of. And so he starts to travel along the border country in Canaan, and he comes to this little town called Gerar. And as is normal for that time, when someone with a lot of money and a lot of animals and a lot of slaves and servants came into town, it was like the Wild West a little bit, right? This was a challenge to the king who was in that town. And so normally when this other person, and and in this case threatening person, entered into the town, the kings would get together and they would make a treaty. They'd say, I mean you no harm. Do you mean me no harm? We're good. Are we okay? Because you have a lot of people and a lot of cattle, and I feel unsafe around you. And so one of the things they would often do is they would exchange someone from their household 
to be married to the other king. That was just a common thing that they did. And of course, from our story, we see that Abraham is fearful. He's afraid. He's wondering what is going to happen to him. Oh, no. Even though the Lord has been super faithful to him over the last 30 years, as we've watched, as God comes near to him, makes promises to him, he's still shaking in his boots, just like chapter 12 of Genesis. Y'all, this is a repeat of chapter 12. He comes to the king and he says, this is my sister. He's talking about his wife. That's kind of harsh. Right here, take my wife. Take my, oh, it's actually my sister, and you can marry her, and she, she can become a part of your harem. Uh, he says that to this king of Bimelech. And it's a confusing story, to say the least. I mean, we know at least from chapter 12 of Genesis that when Abraham did that, at the time his name was Abram, that he was scared because she was so beautiful. The Bible's very clear that Sarah was a gorgeous woman. And he was like, if they find out it's my, this, this is my wife, they're going to kill me, and I'm, I'm, I'm toast. Even though God has said he's going to protect me. And we find out in this story, it's really interesting, that Abraham had actually come up with a scheme. He and Sarah had gotten together when they first were sent out by God, when they were called by him and sent to go to another land. They got together and were like, okay, look, if we come up to a king who feels challenged by all the stuff that we have, we're going to make up this story that you're my, you know, you're my sister, I'm your brother, and we'll solve our problem that way. It's a scheme, though. And it's a scheme that fits exactly in with this lie at the heart of the universe, planted by Satan, that there is something besides God that you need to be happy and safe. Abraham was looking out for number one. He's like, this is the only way that I'm going to be safe, is that if I come up with this lie about my own wife. God seems like he's not going to come through for us, Sarah. I just have this gut feeling that we can't really trust him in this instance. And so let's try this game with the king. Well, we're going to look in just a moment at what the outcome of that is, what the sort of fallout from that is. But first, let's look at how this is true for us, too. Y'all, this is a common human temptation, right? Some danger comes up in your life. Something difficult is facing you. And it's a scramble, isn't it? A little bit like Abraham. Like, okay, honey. Okay, we put some money in that account. We did that over there. And, oh, boy, we're in trouble. The Lord's not going to provide for us. Okay, so you're going to go to work, and I'm going to do this. And we come up with all kinds of schemes. We do this all the time, y'all. Because we do. We just, we default. We're like Abraham. We default to, I, there's something else besides God that is going to have to be what I turn to to be happy and safe. And just like Abraham, we find ourselves repeating patterns. This exact same scenario happened in chapter 12 of Genesis, where Sarah and Abraham are coming up to a king, and he says, it's my sister. And terrible things ensue. You would think, wouldn't you? Like, duh, Abraham, that didn't work out. God's had to rescue you from that. Learn from your mistakes. But here we are. The danger approaches, and he defaults to, there's got to be something besides God that's going to keep me happy and safe. You know, sometimes we just don't appreciate our vulnerabilities, vulnerability as human beings. You know, one of the ways that psychologists describe it is I've been kind of studying this idea of vulnerability, of how weak we can be sometimes when faced with danger. 
is this idea that we, we, we talk to other people and we're like, I'm going to be vulnerable today. I'm going to reveal something about myself that I've been keeping hidden. I'm going to show some vulnerability. Well, the reality is, as the psychologists describe it, we're always vulnerable. <laughs> being human is being vulnerable. Plain and simple. From the moment you're born to the moment you die, you're vulnerable. You're weak. It's just a fact of life. And there are dangers coming at us all the time. We know them. We feel them. I mean, how many, mom- how many days do you wake up with even just a low level of fear about something? Finances. Maybe it's about relationships. There's just this kind of tenseness to the life that we lead on this earth. And there's this way, we, we look for ways to cope with it. We look for things that are going to make us happy and safe. And in our pride, we think that we can figure it out. Just like Abraham, the hubris of, I can come up with a scheme that is going to make this work out. Here's what scripture says about that idea. Proverbs 16 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And 1 Corinthians 10 says, If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Satan is no idiot. He knows exactly when to attack. He knows the moment of our most intense vulnerability. And that's when he is going to bring the fiery arrows. This story in particular reveals the agenda of Satan. Because it wasn't just the fact that that Satan was attempting Abraham to find his happiness and safety in something besides God. It's the fact that Satan was trying to destroy the plan of God altogether. Here's, Here's what I mean. The great promise of God to Abraham is that he's going to have a child. A promised son. We're going to actually get into that next chapter. But for this promised son to come, it would mean that his wife, Sarah, would have to birth a child. And everything is now at stake. Everything could go down right here with this king who took Sarah as his wife. Think about it for a minute. If he gets Sarah pregnant, the promise could be completely destroyed. Satan knew the absolute perfect place of vulnerability. He knew where to attack. He knew the promise of God could possibly be thwarted if he won this battle. But thankfully, though we look at this response of Abraham, it's response number one in your little note-taking, if you're taking notes. Response number one is the fact that Abram turns to this scheme. Abraham turns to this scheme to save his own skin. But here, we're going to look at rescue number one. Praise be to the Lord. God comes through. God restrains the hand of Abimelech. He's super gracious, both to Abraham and to Abimelech. He causes, we're not exactly sure, but he causes some sort of sickness or illness or disease to come upon Abimelech and his family to where they're unable to consummate the marriage. He's unable to consummate this marriage that he just had with Sarah. So thankfully, the promise is alive. And you see here this beautiful picture of God's grace, but also the way that God is always at work in his redemptive salvation. 
He's always the one who is making sure that those whom he will call to himself will make their way to him. He's making sure the door is open for the Savior down the line. We see his grace all throughout this passage, but especially here in the fact that he intervenes to uphold his promise. Let's read about it very briefly. God came to Abimelech in a dream one night in verse 3. It says, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She's a married woman. And Abimelech then pleads his innocence before God. He says, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not? Did Abraham not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. But God explains to him, and is coming to Abimelech, that this dream was for his own good. And that the only reason that he has a clear conscience is because God restrained his hand. He, and God mercifully kept him from touching Sarah. And he, re, he warns him to return Sarah to this prophet, Abraham. And so that's what happens the next morning. Y'all, this is a very positive look at Abimelech. The Bible is very gracious to him. They're saying this guy, when God reveals to him, you have done a wrong, he's like, look, I didn't know what was happening, Lord. And God says, you immediately need to return Sarah to my prophet, Abraham. And he's like, yes, sir. It's a really neat picture of repentance in this passage. He, the next morning, he wakes up early. He gets all of his main leaders, and he's like, okay, we're going to right this wrong. It's right, it, is, it is absolutely this moment. Again, God's rescue of Abraham. Now, here's what's crazy, y'all. Repented Abimelech comes towards Abraham and says, I'm so sorry. I did not understand. This was your wife. I'm going to return her to you now. Here, take all this. He offers even more things. And how does Abraham, response number two from Abraham. Again, uh, y'all, he's so weak. It's beautiful. Here's why it's beautiful. Because this is the hero of faith in the Bible is Abraham. (laughs) Y'all, we have so much hope when we read about Abraham. Because it's showing us that y'all, even in our faithlessness, that God is going to be gracious that God is going to rescue. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But let's look at the response of Abraham to Abimelech coming into him and revealing that his scheme has not worked. That your little trick, it's ruining lives all around you. And Abraham's like, okay. uh, So Genesis chapter 20, verse 9 and 10. Abimelech says, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You've done things to me that should not be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? And Abraham makes up excuses. The first thing that he does is he's like, well, verse 11 and 12, I said to myself, uh, there's surely no fear of God in this place, and they'll kill me because of my wife. And what we've seen through the story is the exact opposite of that. In fact, Abimelech, and the way he cared for his people, and the fact that he acknowledged that this sin was against his people, not just himself, shows that they're actually pretty God-fearing. And the, the repentant nature of Abimelech immediately when God comes to him in the dream is this, uh, is this picture of the fact that they are by no means godless. But again, y'all, we've all been there with Abraham. You see the danger in front of you, and it's like, I'm just going to make some assumptions that I am in trouble. And that I need to make up a scheme or a lie, even if it's a little white lie, 
to get myself out of this because I have to be happy and safe. That's what Abraham was thinking that entire time. I have to be happy and safe. I am in trouble if I just trust God through this story and tell the truth. And then, okay, let's keep going. Abraham goes further in his response to Abimelech and he claims it was only half a lie. He is skirting this as best he can. He is like, I'm going to get out from under this. Verse 12. Besides, she really is my sister. The daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. Confusing, first of all. Secondly, it's like my kids. No offense. I did this when I was your age, too. Did you eat the cookie? Did you eat the candy? Did you hide the iPad? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a bite. Just a... Oh! Okay, no big deal. You know, that's what they're expecting. Right? It's, it's like Abraham here. Like, oh, it's, it's half a lie. You know, forget it. No big deal. Whatever. Let's walk away. Take the cookie. No problem. We've all been there. We've all done it. We all feel it. Abraham trying to sneak out from underneath this lie that he told. And then finally... And I know I've done this. I imagine some of us in here have. Verse 13. When God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, that is Sarah, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. The scheme is revealed. He was hedging his bets. Way back early on, when God first called Abraham, he blames God. For what's happening. When it says in verse 13, God had me wander from my father's household, this word wander is very negative in the Hebrew. It's not like, oh, I just went for a little walk in the woods. Wander means like stumbling. Like it's used of drunk people stumbling. It's used of people who are lost in the woods. So he's basically saying, when God made me stumble and fall and have to do all this hard stuff, I had to come up with a scheme to protect myself. What else was I going to do to stay happy and safe? It's a bit, it, it is sad, y'all, that this is happening in our story, that Abraham is trying to skirt out of this lie that he told. But, you know, the kind of overriding principle for us this morning is that ultimately every sin against God is not trusting that he loves us and will care for us. Sin is trusting that our way is better than God's way. Because it is, it is giving into that lie from Satan at the center of the universe that I will not find happiness and safety if I simply trust God. And I'm not going to be dishonest here. It's really hard. I, y'all, I'll, I turn to other things besides God all the time to look for happiness and safety. Right? I mean, I'll turn to... Let me give an example. Church planting. This has been quite a fun journey. And really hard. As y'all, as y'all who have been in this for a while know. And I, I'll find sometimes that to get to a happy and safe place when it comes to trusting God in church planting, I'll just get down if the numbers are low or I'll be excited if the numbers are high. And I'll just let the approval of man, the approval of people, dominate my day, dominate my week. 
Because I so badly want to cram something besides God into my heart to find that happiness and that safety that I crave. Uh, what's yours? It probably is not <laughs> church planting, approval of other people. I don't know what it is. Is it, is it job security? Is it money? Is it, you know, finding a significant other? Is it children? We've all got these spots where the danger of life is going to make us grab for something besides God to find happiness and safety. But God always comes to the rescue. And we see the second time here, God's rescue. I mean, it's amazing, y'all. Abraham has just flopped. Total, on-your-face flop. And what happens at the end of the story? He doesn't have to reap the consequences of his sin, which were Sarah put in harm's way, God's entire plan of salvation put in jeopardy, Abimelech and his people are stricken with this horrible sickness. Instead of having to just absolutely wallow in the weight of all those consequences, God says to Abimelech, Abraham's going to pray for you. But before he prays for you, there's going to be something else. I want you to bless him. We're going to talk about grace. Abimelech, Abraham's lied. Abraham's tried to skirt out of the lie. And Abimelech's like, here, take a bunch of cattle, take a bunch of sheep, take a bunch of servants, take a bunch of land, and here's a thousand shekels. A half a shekel was a month's wage for a laborer that day. So, I mean, we're talking into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, possibly millions of dollars. Here. And he says a very important phrase for us to understand. He says, take all this money, this thousand shekels, as a covering for what you have done. For the shame that you've brought upon my family and upon your own. It's very important that we see what's behind that word covering. Because it's the word that also in the Old Testament means to atone for. Take these thousand shekels as an atoning sacrifice for the sin that has come upon both of our households. And it's a picture, once again, of God's grace. Listen to how the New Testament puts it. Any sin can be covered when God is at work. 1 Peter 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things like money, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. A covering over the sin. We cannot pay our way out of the sin against God. The way we trust other things for our happiness and safety. They must be covered. 1 John chapter 2 says it this way. Write this, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood, covering over. Jesus covers over sin. And thus, like Abraham in this passage, we are left with hope. We are left with hope. 
And let's, let's go one practical application from this. The practical application from the fact that our sins can be covered. We watched it with Abraham by Abimelech. We see it through Jesus Christ. As our faith, we place our faith in him, he covers over our sin and gives us his righteousness. And then, in our story, Abimelech asks Abraham, God ultimately, asks Abraham to pray for that family, to bless. God's promise stands Even in the midst of Abraham's sin, you are going to be a blessing to the nations around you. And Abraham prays, and the entire family of Abimelech is healed, and God uses him once again for his blessing. It is a sweet reminder to us, y'all, that even in our sin, with the covering of God's grace through Jesus, God will continue and constantly use us to bless others. You don't have to have a perfectly cleaned up life to be used by God. You can enter into ministry right where you're at, knowing that the grace of Jesus Christ covers sin. And so I encourage us that we'll see from this story to pray, to bless, to go forward. Do not rest in the fear of Do not rest in your own man-made schemes to deal with that fear. Rest in Jesus Christ alone. It is God's plan of salvation for covering sin. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this picture, this incredible picture of the way that you just constantly and continually redeem. Lord, you do not ever leave Abraham in his sins. You come after him. You find him. You bless him. Lord, as we'll see from our story next week, you want to show your glory through him. Lord, and you, you do the same with us. Lord, you find us. And you don't leave us in our little schemes. You redeem us. You protect us. Lord, I pray this morning... That, that I and that we would find our happiness and safety in you. Lord, yank from our grip that thing that we are holding on to that we think is going to finally bring happiness and safety. Lord, that thing that we are looking to this week, this month, that's going to solve it all that's going to bring, it's going to unlock the happiness we've always desired. Lord, I pray that you would rip that from our hands and that you would come into our hearts through Jesus and teach us and show us whatever it takes that you ultimately are our only source of true happiness and safety. And Lord, I pray through that that we would bless those around us, that we would bring that message into our world. Thank you, God, that you've covered over our sin. And that we don't have to look at it anymore. You're not going to look at it. And Lord, may we move forward with repentant faith and hope. Humble us, remake us, and renew us this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we the beauty of the Lord's Supper is that we get this picture on a weekly basis 
of what we've described in this passage. The fact that Jesus himself was broken for our life, for our sin. He was poured out for our sin. And his righteousness covers even us. So let's remember that when he was in the upper room with his disciples, he took the bread that he had there in that room and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. I want you to eat this going forward for a whole long time, even including 2018, in remembrance of what I have done for you and in you and what I want to do through you. And we would ask that as he's come around, if you have not been covered by Jesus, if you've not placed your faith in him, you'd let him pass by and just pray about it. Think about it for a few moments as we take communion. But if you, if you have placed your faith in him, eat this morning of this meal. He's got his one side.